Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Good morning, Venture. Happy New Year to you guys. My name is Charles. I'm the high school pastor here. Excited to be kicking off the new year with you. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% confident that it's a real thing. In my mind, it's kind of like Bigfoot or Yeti or whatever. But there is this like mythical legend in high school ministry of what I like to call the music meltdown. And I, I think it might have been like an 80s or a 90s thing. But here's kind of how the music meltdown goes in, uh, in youth group lore where the youth pastor would say, hey, bring all of your music to youth group tonight. And then as the night goes, the message was just hellfire and brimstone. There's nothing more evil in the world than rock music. And therefore, all of your rock music goes into the trash can, a short journey into the parking lot, the metal trash can goes into the parking lot, a healthy amount of lighter fluid and hopefully a cinematic light matching, <laughs> throw it in and all of your secular music goes up in flames. That would leave an impression, right? Like I'm always looking for things in high school ministry. It's like, how can I get students to remember that would leave an impact? It, we're not doing anything like that this morning. We won't be setting anything on fire. I am a little bit afraid of those toxins from your records, CDs, cassette tapes, eight tracks, whatever it is. And honestly, even with that, I don't think that all of secular music is evil. If you're in here and you're like, Charles, I've been to one of those nights. I wanna talk to you afterwards. I wanna make sure that like, I'm not just making stuff up out of my head. But what I do wanna talk about is repentance, repentance. There might only be a small part, but I do think that there's a small part from nights like a music meltdown that are important and beautiful. Specifically, I think like a passion for holiness is important and beautiful. I think a willingness to sacrifice is important and beautiful. I think the courage to stand out and say like, hey, I'm gonna do something that seems a little bit weird, seems a little bit uncomfortable. I think that courage is important and beautiful. So today we're not lighting any fires, but I do hope that as we get started, you would just pray right now, God, would you speak to me? And if there's something in my life that I need to put in the proverbial dumpster, and set it on fire, that you would have the passion, you would have the willingness, you would have the courage to put that in the proverbial dumpster and set it on fire this morning. If you have your scripture, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew chapter four. If you're using that Bible in the seat in front of you, it's gonna be page 962. I am doing my darndest to shake this cough, but if I cough a little bit during this morning, I just apologize in advance. Before we get into the scripture this morning, I do just wanna kind of make a confession. 
A couple of months ago, as I was doing my initial reading and thinking and planning for this morning, I was nothing but excited. I was so excited to stand up and preach about repentance. As I've gotten closer and closer to actually standing up here, I've gotten increasingly more uncomfortable for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, talking about repentance is hard and it's not really all that fun. There's so many other topics that we could delve into this morning that would be so much easier and exciting to teach. Honestly, talking about repentance kind of makes me feel like a hypocrite because there's still areas in my life that I feel like God is calling me to let go to, proverbial, to proverbially set on fire. And I don't feel like I'm there yet. And so it's kind of like, ugh, am I the right person to stand up and say these things? But I also think that it's very, very important. It is not possible to be walking with Jesus apart from repentance. And because it's so important, there's, there's just a weight and a necessity of what's gonna be communicated this morning. And so I just wanna come out and say like, hey, I'm a little nervous, but would you join me this morning in just saying, God, speak to me. If there is that area in my life that I need to let go of, would you make that crystal clear this morning? If there's areas where it's like, hey, you're just beating yourself up, there's too much guilt, there's too much shame, and God's not calling you to let go of stuff, I pray that God would communicate that to you clearly this morning. But I pray that beyond what I say, that through the scripture and through our time together, that God's will would be so clear this morning for you individually, for me personally. With that, we'll jump into Matthew chapter four. Matthew 4, verse 17, scripture says this. <clears throat> From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, for my prayer this morning, uh, these aren't my words, in Nehemiah chapter number one, Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem is in a state of disrepair. Things are not going well. And so in Nehemiah chapter one, he kneels down and he prays. And so as we begin this morning, uh, would you join with me? And I'm just gonna be reading Nehemiah's prayer, adapted a little bit for us. And we'll have that be our prayer this morning. Join me in prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to our prayer. Look down and see us praying night and day for your people. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Please remember what you said, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear our prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Amen. As we jump in, I said this morning we're talking about the first word that comes out of Jesus's mouth as he begins his earthly ministry, repent. The repent is kind of a, 
is a very Christianese word. It's a word that has meaning within. So as we get started, let's just jump into the meaning of repentance. My own definition that I wanna start things off with is when I say repentance, here's what I mean. To be sorry for your sin, then to leave it behind and pursue Jesus and his holiness. And honestly, all three of those steps are important when we're talking about repentance. One, that there is an emotional aspect to it, that it's not just a cold, uh, calculated decision, although a decision is part of it, but an emotion, a, a, a sorrow, a heart-heavy heart heavy aspect where we are sorry for our sins. And then there is a decision, a volitional part of it, where we decide to leave it behind. And then there's, there's a pursuit part of it where we're not just, we're not staying stagnant and staying where we are, but after we are, show sorrow for our sin, we turn, we pursue Jesus and his holiness. If you've been in church, you've heard repentance defined as a change of mind or a change of directions. For short definitions, those are a good way of understanding what repentance is. One quote that I liked, it says, it defines uh, repentance Repentance means to change a course of action, to turn away or to turn back. It denotes man's turning away from rebellion against God and turning to God. It means a complete about turn. That's what we're talking about this morning, the meaning of repentance. But then I wanna shift and talk about the need for repentance. Before we get into repentance in the New Testament, and we're gonna go through some scripture together, I just wanna point out that this is the first thing that Jesus says. We have four accounts of Jesus' biography, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In both Matthew and Mark, the inaugural announcement, the first thing that Jesus says as he comes out of the gate and he's giving his sermon, what he starts out with is this phrase right here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Fortunately or unfortunately, we're in uh, election season again, and the two front runners are guys that we are familiar with. But at least on the Republican side, there's been some new voices that have joined in and kind of made a commitment saying, hey, I wanna go for president. I wanna go for president as well. And one of the important parts of a presidential campaign is that initial announcement. There's thought put into it, there's like, crafting your message. There's the environment for where you wanna give it. And especially that first address, you're laying out an important agenda. You're saying, here's why I think I should be the president of the United States. And if we're comparing presidential candidates to Jesus's ministry, this beginning statement is Jesus kind of like initial statement. And what he comes out with isn't a message that's very acceptable, isn't very inviting, isn't very like coddling in any way. He comes out and he says, hey, I wanna let you know, step number one, here's what I'm gonna be all about. Repent, you're doing it wrong. I'm gonna show you how to do it right. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then as we go on, this isn't the only place that we see the message of repentance. In fact, as Jesus says this in Matthew chapter four, he's actually quoting it from John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three talks about John the Baptist ministry, baptizing people in the wilderness. And John the Baptist, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus progresses in ministry, we see in Matthew chapter 11 that he was frustrated that cities did not repent. 
he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. And the reason that he was frustrated was because they did not repent. He even gave an illustration. He says in Matthew 12, the men of Nineveh, the story of Jonah and how there was a great repentance and revival in Nineveh. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. What was, what was the problem with the current generation? They repent that the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus would say, there's a problem that people like do not, aren't getting what Jesus came to ask for, repentance. In Luke 15, between Luke 15 and Luke 16, Jesus actually tells three stories, stories that uh, are memorable. We, we remember these stories, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. And the reason Jesus tells these three stories is because he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He says up in heaven, there's a party going when people realize their need and they repent. At the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is meeting with his disciples, this is kind of the great commission, if you're familiar with that term for Luke's gospel, it's kind of the final charge that Jesus gives his disciples. He's explaining the reason why the crucifixion and the resurrection happen. Thus it is written, Jesus says, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus is saying at the end of Luke, here's why it all happened. That repentance and forgiveness of sins could be broadcasted to everyone everywhere. Repentance is the reason that Jesus was crucified and rose again. When we jump into the book of Acts, we see the very first public proclamation of the gospel message, the day of Pentecost. Peter here is speaking to a large crowd. And when the, came, when the time came for the response, people asked, when they heard, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And here's Peter's response. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just at the beginning of the book of Acts. The very next chapter in Acts chapter number three, Peter and John are going up to the temple. They heal somebody who has been lame from birth. And after that miracle, they start talking to the people that witnessed it. And what do they tell them to do? Repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When Peter takes a step back and Paul kind of becomes the main person that we're following in the book of Acts, one of his most famous sermons is in Acts chapter 17, there on Mars Hill. And as part of the core of this message, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. We fast forward all the way to the end of the New Testament. 
In the book of Revelation, there's seven letters that are written to the seven churches of Asia Minor there. And in five of the seven letters, what Jesus calls the church to do is to repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And here's, here's the goal for all of the scriptures that I want to, to kind of go through God's word and show that from the beginning of what Jesus began to teach and say, all the way through the end of the New Testament, the common refrain, the common note that we hear again and again is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The way that you're doing things is not right. Come and follow Jesus. Specifically, not only do we see the need presented, but we also see that it's theologically important. In fact, repentance is how people are saved. In the 17th century, the Westminster Confession of Faith kind of became the foundational doctrinal statement of the Church of England, the Church of Scotland. Many Presbyterian churches still look to the Westminster Confession of Faith as their statement of belief. And here's what they say about repentance. Repentance is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. That if you're here and you say, I'm right with God, but there has not been that sorrow for your sin, the turning to go a different direction, the pursuit of Jesus, that without repentance, there will be no pardon. C.S. Lewis says that, or excuse me, before I get to C.S. Lewis, Sinclair Ferguson talks about the relationship between faith and repentance. Faith is trusting in Christ. Repentance is turning from sin. They are two sides of the same coin of belonging to Jesus. Because we've all heard you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And that is absolutely true. You are saved when you put your faith, your allegiance, your trust in Jesus. But this, this thing that leads up to that is you dropping your own ideas, your own confidence in yourself and saying, I repent of all of that and I am turning towards Jesus. Faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They are essential for having a right relationship with Jesus. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it. Repentance is not something that God demands before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose. God's not saying like, oh man, like I just have to do this so that it satisfies my will. It's, it's necessary. It's, it's essential for actually going back to him. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. Later this week, we're going to Disneyland with high school ministry and college ministry. And every time I get ready to go to Disneyland, there's this old story from one of the churches that I went to back in the day that comes back and haunts my mind. It was a college group. They were going up to Disneyland and they wanted to get there right when the park opened, but they weren't able to spend the night there the night before. And so they were all loading into the car like early in the morning. And then one person was gonna stay awake, drive all the way to Disneyland so that when they got up, they were there ready for a day of fun. Oh, to their surprise, when the light starts coming up, sun rises and they look up and the driver's driving and they see signs to how many miles to the Oregon border. <laughs> oh no. At this point, in order to get to Disneyland, 
you have to make a U-turn. There has to be repentance. There has to be a going back. The same thing is true of our relationship with the Lord. As we are going our own way, it is out of necessity that we have to repent. There is a need for repentance. Third thing that I wanna point out this morning is the ongoing nature of repentance. Martin Luther was the reformer that started the Protestant church movement. And the thing, the, the, the single event that began the, the, the great revival of the 16th century was nailing the 95 thesis to the door there, uh, the, the door of the church. Here is the first of the 95 thesis. When our Lord and master Jesus Christ said, repent, as a direct quote out of Matthew, Matthew 4 that we just read, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Martin Luther is saying, hey, yes, it's absolutely true that for that first step towards Jesus, that first step is gonna need repentance. But that's not where repentance ends. Repentance is going to be a continual process where we continue to repent, let go and continue to pursue God. Honestly, I think this is especially important for those of you guys who have been in church or around church for a long period of time, that it's easy for us to think, I'm doing okay. Man, I've, I've, I've been in this world for long enough. I know what's expected of me. And repentance is something that I did back then. It was something that I did when I was a, re- when I was a rebellious high schooler. It was something that I did after my wild years in college. It was something that I did after my first marriage failed. I repented back then and now I'm fine. Martin Luther says, no, 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 the whole of Christian life. From beginning to end, when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven, that's not one period of time. It's something that's ongoing in our lives. Paul would say it this way, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's an ongoing work of sanctification that involves us saying no, repenting. Here's where I think a lot of churches get it wrong. When we ask ourselves, what do we repent of? I was raised in a church that did ask people to burn. They didn't ask them to burn, but we had a very strict, no secular music rule in my house. We didn't go to movies. Our house was a dry house uh, until I was like in my thirties. We had a very, very strict family culture and church culture. And I think where church hurt happens, where people get burned by church, where a lot of the sarcastic comments on Instagram or Twitter come from, is when we ask ourselves, what do we need to repent of? Because a lot of times churches will come up and say like, hey, I think that you need to repent of X, Y, or Z. It's my opinion that we think that this is evil and shouldn't have any part of a Christian's life. And so just to kind of protect protect myself and then protect our church from going down that road. When I think of what we need to be repenting of, I just wanna talk to, I want to point us to the person who will give us the best advice for what needs to be repented of. Jesus in John chapter 16 says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, 
the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here is the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do in your life and in my life. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I don't need to tell you what you need to repent of. I think when I started the sermon and said, we are talking about repentance, that, in, that for very many of us, there was something that popped, into my, that popped into our minds. There's that habit that we've been trying to kick. There's that, there's that issue that we've been having. There's that, there's that thing that our families are constantly complaining about and we know that we're guilty of, that we already have that conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of us bringing it up. But just in case there's stubborn people here who cross their arms and say, not me, the Holy Spirit's not convicting me of anything. I do think that there's something specifically that we could kind of journey through ourselves, think through. Think, hey, is there, is there a problem in this area of my life or in that area of life, my life? We're gonna break it down to two categories, sins of omission and then sins of commission. When I think of sins of omission, the thing that I want to go to first and foremost is the greatest commandment that we are given as Christians, to love God and to love others. Jesus says, this is it. This is the main point. When he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second one is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So this morning, as you're thinking of like, man, is there something that I need to leave behind? Is there something that God's calling me to let go of? How's your love? How's your love for God? How's your love for those around you? This is the first and the great commandment. Maybe we could stay here and dissect it, but just as a first touch point, how is your love? Second thing that I wanna talk about is discipleship. When we think about sins of omission, how's your discipleship? Jesus gives a command to all of his followers, not just pastors, not just church workers, but to everybody who is a decided follower of Jesus. He gives the great commission to go make disciples of all nations, to be involved in helping believers mature so that they could be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then that work of teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and the understanding that God is doing this work, that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. How's your discipleship? Who are you bringing closer to God? How are you leading your family? How are you leading your friends? How are you in the workplace? Are you bringing the message of Jesus to those around you? shift over to sins of commission. Here we have the list of what are commonly called the seven deadly sins. Might be a better uh, idea to call them the seven capital sins, because it's not that these are specifically common or deadly, but it's that these things are, are, are the head, the beginning point, the way to characterize large areas of wickedness that spring up in our life. In the seven seven uh, categories of capital sin, all of it comes from pride, envy, 
sloth, greed, anger, gluttony, and lust. And again, I think churches get it wrong when they say, this is the thing. This is what you have a problem with. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? When I look at this list, <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit is saying, all of it, Charles. You have all of it. But I think, I think for me personally, it's five, six, and seven. There is that anger. There's gluttony, not that I'm like throwing down the calories, but that I just, I just want pleasure. I want ease. I want more. I want, I want, I just want to be comfortable. And then lust. What is it that the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Where is it that the Holy Spirit is saying, yeah, there's, there's this aspect of your life. What we repent of is something between us and God. But where I wanna end this morning is the motivation for repentance. The motivation for repentance. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter two. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? We've experienced his kindness, his forbearance and his patience. For some of us, there might be attitudes, actions, habits. There might have been sins of omission and sins of commission that we've been living in for days, weeks, months, years, decades now. And we think, oh, I'm doing okay. What that is, is you're experiencing God's kindness, his patience. He's giving you time. He's saying, hey, I'll, I'll deal with you. I, I, I'm not gonna just come out and smite you immediately. But do we think that his kindness, forbearance, and patience is, is just a tone of acceptance? Do we not know that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? You might be fine. You might be coping just well, just, you might be coping just dandily with your sin. But do you know that that patience, that kindness, the motivation for it is that God will lead you to repentance? And do we know God's promise when we do repent? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we know what is the end result of repentance? That as we repent, the promise is that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing. As a pastor, personally, what I want more than anything is the times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. I wanna walk into this room and I wanna feel God's presence in this place. I wanna feel his peace, his love, his, his acceptance of each and every one of us. I wanna feel genuine worship coming from our church, but how do we get there? Where do we get, what must we do to experience the times of refreshing, the, the oh so desirable presence of God? Repent. Can I tell you guys two stories as, as we wrap up? Story number one is just uh, not an easy, but a simple repentance. I was talking with a guy a couple of weeks ago, member of our church, and it was the first time we'd gotten together. And so he was just kind of giving me his whole life story. And man, initially I was thinking, this has been a tough life. 
There was some initial medical issues that he was going through and the difficulty of the medical issue left it, led to difficulty in their marriage. Marriage fell apart from the marriage difficulty. Finances kind of uh, got out of hand. He was living homeless in his living homeless in his car for over a year. And after about 18 months of living uh, out of his car, things, God started putting things back together for him, got a roof over his head, got stable, got rid of some of the addictions that go along with the life of living on the streets and being homeless. And then here's the part that surprised me. He said, then Charles, as I started getting around venture, I found out that there was a warrior's men group and our Warriors Men's Ministry is a ministry that specifically deals with lust and sexual issues in our over-sexualized world and helps men to be able to combat those things. He said, Charles, I got sober from lust. He said, of all of the drugs that I've had to kick, the drug and the addiction of lust was the hardest one. But when I finally got clean, when I finally got sober, everything changed. My times of prayer is a time of like refreshing. I love to pray. I love reading scripture so much so that the people around me are saying, are you going overboard? Are you reading too much scripture? Are you praying too much? He says, I love to witness. I love to share the power of Jesus with other people that are on the street. I love to be involved in different ministries around the church. All of the things that I once thought were just rules and regulation, I've come to, I've come to cherish, I've come to enjoy. And it all came when I got my addictions under control. It's almost as though that when there was repentance, the time of refreshing came from the Lord. Maybe for you, I'm not saying that that's easy, I do think that repentance, uh, though it's simple, is never easy. That it might require some kind of program. It might require some kind of support. It might require some additional help to make that change a lasting change. But maybe for you, it's just a simple, it's one thing. It's one area where you need to throw that into the dumpster, light it on fire and let it go. Or else you might be like me and your problem wasn't one issue. Your problem was a lifetime of rebellion. Here's what I mean by that. When I was 13, I was in a church service at Battlefield Baptist Church in Virginia, right outside of Gettysburg. And it was a missions conference. And the person who was speaking was talking about the mission field in India. And after speaking, he said, hey, if God is calling you to give your life to ministry, I want you to come forward. And as a 13 year old, I was like, I think God's calling me to ministry. And so I stood up, walked to the front and they made a big deal out of it. They're like, hey, Charles is dedicating his life to ministry. I was like, okay, sweet. Um, and for me as a 13 year old, my parents were missionaries. And so I thought, man, that probably means that I will be on the mission field one day. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind coming into high school. But a lot of things happened in high school. I started having fun, started realizing that I was kind of good at math and science. And I looked at other people who were in the kind of tech world, engineering world. I was like, man, you can make good money. It kind of being good at math and science. And so I was kind of drawn to that. And it wasn't like I was intentionally saying, God, your call on my life is being sidelined. I'm gonna live for me. I'm gonna pursue an education. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my career. I'm gonna have fun. It was never like specifically said, but that's what I was doing. <clears throat> I was living for me to have a good time, for me to have fun, for me to be successful. All of that changed when I was 18 on April 23rd, 2003. 
It was spring break. Me and two friends, Paul and Rob, uh, jumped into my 1997 Ford Taurus, cruised down to Yosemite, found our camping spot, threw up the tent as quickly as we could, took all of our food, threw it into the bear canister. Like, all right, we're ready for adventure number one. Where are we going? Paul and Rob are more familiar with Yosemite. And so they said, hey, we don't have a ton of time. Sun's gonna go down. How about we go make a quick hike to lower Yosemite Falls, turn around and come back. We'll be back in time for dinner. It'll be great. And so we start heading that way. At this point, I think Rob's probably 16, Paul's 17. I'm the oldest, I'm 18. And so we're walking our way to lower Yosemite Falls on the trail. And we realize lower Yosemite Falls is that way but the trail starts meandering all the way over there. I've taken geometry. I know that the quickest distance between two points is a straight line. So if I wanna make it quick to lower Yosemite Falls, I'm not going where the trail goes. I'm going that way directly over to the, to the waterfall. And so we do, we kind of take off our shirts. The six packs are natural because you have uh, a 16 17 and 18 year old metabolism. We're kind of showing off, doing all our little rock climbing. And initially, if you know anything about the the valley floor, initially like it gradually increases until when you get to the actual walls of the valley, they just shoot straight up. So initially we're going up boulder, 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 little cliff, little section. You're talking about like five, five to 15 foot little rock climbing sections and we get up, but eventually we get to a point where we're stuck. We had gone, if we're going towards the waterfall, we'd gone too far right and we couldn't make it left to get to the waterfall. We couldn't go right because it was dangerous over there. And we're at the point where it's now just straight up a wall of cliffs. And then the things that we've come up already are difficult enough. If you know anything about rock climbing, it's actually way more difficult to go down than it is to come up. And so we're stuck at this point and we make a decision. All right, well, I bet if we can get into that crevice right over there, we could get up to the top We'll be able to find a trail up there and we'll get back down. It might be a little bit after dinner, but we'll be fine. So we get up and we're starting to climb, trying to make our way into this little crevice where we could get up to the top of the valley floor uh, and Paul slips. Initially, it might've been like a eight to 10 foot drop, but the shelf that we were on was only about five or six feet wide. So he hits that initial shelf and then he falls down some more. Uh, there were bushes and other things in the way. And so after that initial fall, he fell out of our line of sight and we couldn't see where he was, but we could hear him. We could hear him continuing to fall, continuing to scream. And I don't know how long he fell for, uh, but we just frozen in silence until finally there was silence. Rob and I realized we have to go find Paul. And so we turn around and what had taken us 45 minutes to come up, we're just tearing down. It takes us 15 minutes to get down and eventually find Paul. On the way, Paul had had the backpack on him. And so we pull out the cell phone, call search and rescue. Rob has his red shirt and he's waving it on the side of the mountain. Search and rescue says, we found you, we coming to you. Just try to keep Paul alive. Like I said, 15 minutes later, we found Paul. And so Rob was a lifeguard that summer. And so he knew how to do CPR. So we took turns doing the rescue breaths and doing the compressions. And for, I don't know, for as long as it took for search and rescue to get there, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Uh, we're just trying to keep Paul alive with no sign of life from Paul. 
We get there, uh, or search and rescue gets there and immediately they cut open the shirt, they take the rescue breather, they put the bag on him and they're giving him rescue breaths and they slap the stickers on him. And I've seen enough TV to know what I'm supposed to see on the machine when they turn it on and the line goes across. What I'm supposed to see is a line going across and then the beep that registers the heartbeat. And then we're supposed to see that, you know, continually. And so my, my eyes are just fixed on this little machine. And I see the line going across, but it's flat. My, my attention goes from the machine up to the search and rescue medic and the medic just shakes his head. No. It was in that moment that everything changed for me. Because when I was looking at Paul's body, I realized that was a body, but that was not the end of the story. I knew that Paul was no longer here. And then all of the things that I had learned growing up in church to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment that, that our bodily end is not the end of the story, but is a continuation to step into what's next. And in that moment, I realize I'm not ready for what's next. That I've spent the last four of my 18 years pursuing my agenda, pursuing my desires, pursuing my dreams, pursuing my goals. And I had no room in my life for what God had called me to. In that moment, I repented. And it was sloppy, it was messy, and it took, it took years to undo all of that selfishness. The one line that was in my mind as I was walking down the rest of the way, eventually they would bring a helicopter and they would take Paul's body and they would helicopter it off the mountain, but Rob and I had to walk down. At that point, all the adrenaline's like gone from my body and my legs are shaking and trying to make it down the rest of the way safely and covered in Paul's blood. But the one phrase that goes through my mind continually is an old missionary saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And just step after step of slowing down and reaching down, putting my hand down in order to make the next step. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I didn't need a small, simple repentance. I needed a total turnaround of my life to not be focusing on myself and to instead align my life to what God had called me to. And that's what I need today. That's what we all need today to not be living for our own, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If there's someone in here and you've, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, what, could I give you an invitation today to repent of relying on your own wisdom, your own insights, and to instead repent and trust in Jesus? to follow hard after him, to give him your allegiance, your dedication, saying, Jesus, you take it all. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who says, I don't trust in my own wisdom, my own insights. Jesus, I give it all to you. 
Could I give you that invitation? In a little bit, we're gonna have people out here uh, wanting to pray with you. Could you go and tell them, hey, I, I, I want to trust in Jesus. Could you start that conversation today? If you're here and you've been around church world for forever, and you've gotten a little bit lazy with it. Could you just pray and say, God, what, <laughs> what needs to go into the dumpster? What needs to get set on fire in my life? What do I need to repent of? And we trust him. He's not overbearing. He's not trying to rip us apart. In love, he wants to come and get you to leave some things behind and follow him in a life of joy and goodness that he's prepared for us, the abundant life. Would you do that? Let's pray together. God, it, it is hard to trust you that what you want is our good, that the things that you're calling us to let go of isn't because you're trying to punish us, but it's because you're trying to lead us to the abundant life. God, I pray for clarity and for courage for everybody hearing my voice. That you would give them the clarity specifically of what they need to be repenting of. And then the courage to follow you into that repentance. Praise things in your name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.